The Strange Case of the Eldest Brother Government service often means many seemingly unrewarded years of toil. But the ability to help many at every stroke also means the ability to harm as easily by every action or inaction. So it's a serious responsibility. Each day has the carryover concerns from the near or distant past, but also fresh new issues to be examined and answered judiciously. Most of the issues that come to my desk are broad and community-wide. Only rarely can I be of assistance to a single individual in a unique and personal way. But whenever that's the case, it's always special. That Wednesday, I pushed open the door of my office room and felt the cool, air-conditioned air. After the heat and humidity on my morning round, it was delicious. I sat down and spent a moment collecting the disparate strands of my thoughts. A pile of papers sat impatiently in the center of my desk, already demanding my attention. I was still to lift the first one when my phone rang. It flashed 307. Anita. Yes, I said. Ma'am, she spluttered. It's connected with the presumed dead case. May I see you now? Anita was young and inexperienced, but highly motivated. I asked her to step across immediately. I know, I know you're asking what's a presumed dead case. Give me a moment and I'll explain. We'd had a case here recently, a farmer, whose family had been in the area for generations. His father had died, interstate, of course. This father had three sons and no daughters. The eldest son had run away from home after failing his class 10 school examination and never come back. That was more than 30 years ago. At the time, they'd looked everywhere, in neighboring villages, published ads in local newspapers, done whatever they could, discovered nothing. And the boy had never come back. What the farmer wanted now was for this brother to be declared presumed dead so that the two younger brothers could legally register the ancestral property. Do you understand the difficulty? No proof of death, no proof of life, and a cold trail, 30 years and more old. The case had created a furore at the time. The boy had been traced to a particular bus stop where he'd been witnessed waiting for a bus. After that, no one knew what happened. Which bus he'd taken or where he'd gone, no one could answer. The family had no photographs in those pre-cell phone days. And the description of one small schoolboy sounds much like that of any other. Bus drivers, attendants, passengers, owners of small eateries in every direction, hospitals and healthcare centres had all been visited by the police. To no avail. He'd just vanished. No shred of information had ever come back on that boy. As long as the parents had been alive, 
no one had dared say a word. But now both parents had passed, and the brothers wanted the property issue resolved. Even though this wasn't really our jurisdiction, it was thirty years and more, and they deserved closure. And who else would genuinely help? So I'd got Anita to study the Evidence Act and confirmed that since it was much longer than the mandatory seven years since he disappeared, they were permitted to move the court for a ruling. There were many steps involving public announcements in the print and electronic media and other legalities, and she'd patiently explained and written down all the steps. They'd left to make as good a case of it as they could. So now. You're up to scratch. Anita scrambled in almost instantly. I indicated a chair, or she'd just have stood there like a lamppost. She murmured her thanks as she sat down, and the story came tumbling out. The younger brothers had been following her advice, putting out ads, asking for the whereabouts of their eldest brother, giving details of their parents' name, the name of the town, the date of his disappearance, and other such information. No response had come in. They had then moved to the next stage of having him legally declared presumed dead. After all these years, it was a mere formality, but they couldn't get a clear line on their inheritance until this unseemly business had been dealt with, and it was unseemly, even though they hardly even remembered him. But this morning. She'd had an irate visitor, Mister Eldest Brother himself, in a flaming fury at being declared dead when he was alive and well. He took personal umbrage to such a declaration and had decided that she, Anita, was the reason for his dishonor. There'd been a lot of shouting and banging of desks and finger pointing, and only with the greatest effort had she got him to agree to wait for me. This would, of course, have to happen on a Wednesday, when I always arrived later because of inspection rounds. I offered her some water and sat in silence as she drank it and collected her wits. Then asked her to recount everything again with all the details. It transpired the hurt was to his ego. He'd never returned because he hadn't wanted anything to do with this place. But that didn't mean he could summarily be killed off. He had three children yet to be married, and how was that to be accomplished if he were declared dead in this inauspicious manner? He'd refused to accept that it was partly his own fault. Never a word in more than thirty years. No desire to meet his aging parents before they shuffled off their mortal coil. No letter, no picture, no word, no news, no nothing. Could he blame them for presuming him dead? This had cut no ice with him. In fact, it had infuriated him further, resulting in more crazed yelling and waving of clenched fists. Anita had never experienced anything like this. She was young, as I'd mentioned. I rang the bell for my attendant and asked for this person to be brought to my antechamber and kept waiting outside there till I summoned him in. He needed to cool his heels. In the meantime. Anita and I discussed other pending matters. When I finally gave him an audience, it was a good hour later, and he'd been in the building over three hours with not a drop of food or water, and was in a much quieter frame of mind. 
I made it plain that his earlier behaviour with my subordinate had been unacceptable and that threatening a public official in the pursuance of her duty was a cognizable offence. I sympathised with him. I knew the terrible consequences for a living person to be declared dead. It was a horrible no-man's land of disenfranchisement. But no such declaration had yet been made. His family was currently on a fact-finding mission with a view to ensuring he got his rightful share of the ancestral property. Astoundingly, this agitated him afresh. He had a good boss in the city, he said, whom he was loyally devoted to and he wanted no truck with this inheritance and a return to farm life. He was perfectly happy to leave it for his younger brothers to share. He just didn't want to be declared dead. That was morally offensive to him. We were flabbergasted, to put it mildly. Elder brothers are not known to give up their rights to ancestral property. It meant money, I explained. Could he afford to spurn it so impulsively? His life was elsewhere, he insisted. The land wasn't valuable in financial terms. Who'd want to buy it except his brothers and he didn't want anything from them. They could just have it and he'd trust his boss to look after him and his family. I have to admit, we were absolutely blown away by his attitude. We'd witnessed innumerable family feuds over the sharing of property. But this was a first over not sharing. There must be some legal way to renounce your patrimony. But I'd not come across it till date. My gosh, this fellow was quite exceptional. And his boss too, one would have to suppose. In good faith, we'd have to give guidance to this family. I explained that it was probably not easy. There would be legalities involved. They would take time and require patience. We'd have to study the law on the subject. Anita was furiously scribbling notes. He should come back next Monday with his brothers and we'd do our best to counsel them. He started blustering that it was a lot of nuisance, but I fixed him with a steely eye and he obediently agreed to return as directed. The story has a happy ending, in the sense that everybody got what they wanted. Though it took a good long time for this eldest brother to simply give away his rights to his younger brothers, out of love and natural affection as the time-honoured phrase goes. In addition, we learned a lot about the law governing this side of things, which was fascinating and instructive. And there was also the not inconsiderable pleasure of training a junior in the highest principles of public service. So, all in all, a happy ending, as I said. <laughs>